Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Guy Dunlap from Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined, as always, by Hui Huin, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Hello, Guy. Hello, Hui. <laughs> and and the infamous Sean Walker, creator of Simple Cove. Hello, and, Guy uh, and Hui. Oh, hello. <laughs> I say hi to everyone, not just oh. one person. I'm oh, Sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> so this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account. And right now we have one level and we are simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this wonderful podcast. So Ooh. please go to patreon.com slash woodshop life. And I would like to say hello to a new patron we have this time, Jeremy Marks. Uh, thank you so much, Jeremy, and we sincerely hope that some more of you will give us your support. So, we're going to get right into the questions, and it's going to wait. All right, so this is from Scott at Pax Woodworking. Hey guys, love your podcast. It's one of the few woodworking podcasts out there that actually pushes me to uh, be a better woodworker. Keep it coming. My question is this. I'm considering purchasing a dust extractor. I currently don't have any Festool products, but I'm considering the new new Festool C15 dust extractor. I believe he means CT15 dust extractor. My budget doesn't allow for the high prices of the other units with Bluetooth, and since I don't own any other Festool products, I don't see a reason to have any of the other units, but maybe someday? Question mark. My current setup for my orbital sander, biscuit joiner, etc., is a four-gallon, five-horsepower DeWalt shop vac with 90 CFM. I also have the vac and tools plugged into an eye socket auto switch, which allows the vac to automatically turn on and off when I run my tools. I find that this setup does really well. With a price tag at $350, do you think it's worth it in my situation to upgrade to a C15? What additional benefits do I gain from it that I don't already have? Well, the one benefit that I can think of, and we talked about this before as to the difference between a shop vac and a dust extractor is going to be the HEPA filter. Yeah. Now, I I don't know exactly <clears throat> what the situation is with the DeWalt shop vacs. Some shop vacs do offer the ability to have HEPA filtration, but one of the big, I think one of the big differences between the CT, the Festool and other dust extractors is not only the HEPA filter, but the bag that comes with it. The bag is a really big difference because it's, it's not just a, your typical like, uh, uh, paper bag. Yes, exactly. Thank you. It, it, it is a fine filter bag as well. And, I know what you're thinking is it's a big price difference, but I'm really happy with my dust extractor and it really does a, a wonderful job with those small tools, routers, um, sanders and whatnot. Now you can get away with using your shop vac as a dust extractor. And I I've used it, um, my rigid vacuum as a dust extractor with a little like cyclone unit. It's the, um, the dust stopper, I think it's called. Uh, it's like a little unit that fits on top of a, of a five-gallon bucket that creates a little bit of separation, a little bit of cyclone in it. Uh, but I, I really do feel like there's something about, maybe it's just me, but I think there's something about those quote-unquote expensive dust extractors that just tends to do a better job at collecting both the fine dust and the chips that are sort of ejected from like things like a router and whatnot, more so than a shop vac. And I don't know exactly what it is about the technology that makes it different, but I feel like they perform differently because I've used both. Now, what's the situation with you guys? I believe both of you guys have CT vacs similar to me, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a C. I don't know. What do you mean by similar to, to you? Well, I have a 48, which I think is the, the biggest wow. one. Yeah, that, I yeah. think that's what I think I have. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's one I've got. I'll have to look. It's, it's either the 36 or 48 is the one that I have. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a 26. 26. And I think the 15 is the new one, and that's like 
that that might have replaced the mini or something like no, that. It's, no, it's it's smaller than the mini. No, it's it's, small. it's, it's to the left of the mini. Well, on the website it's to the left of the mini in their lineup. It's I don't know what the differences are, but it's it goes the CT15, then the mini, then the MIDI, then the 26, 36, 48. It's oh, about wow. the same size as the MIDI. Okay. The MIDI, the M I D as in David I MIDI. Right, and I guess like the the MIDI has like Bluetooth and some of the other like finer features that yeah add price to it. Right, the CT15 is 3.9 gallons, 23.8 pounds, 130 cfm. The MIDI is like Guy said, pretty much identical to that. Four mm-hmm. gallons, 24.9 pounds, 130 cfm, and Bluetooth. Well, here's the thing. I actually I remember when I was looking at my CT vac. I was comparing it to the fine. I was comparing it to like, I believe a Makita dust extractor with HEPA. I was, I was comparing it to other, they're pretty comparable in price. Um, I, I can remember that, that it wasn't much of a difference in price between the dust extractors are, are more expensive than the shop back period. If it's classified as a dust extractor, it, it's more expensive than, than the shop back. Yeah, just, back- just because dust extractor is longer than a longer name than shop back. Sure. Yeah, you're paying, extra, you're paying extra for the additional consonants and vowels. So, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if it seems to be working for you, then by all means, stay with the Dewalt shop back. But I think you will find a little a, a difference. I, not a little bit, but I I feel like there's a difference wow. between the performance. Yeah, there is. There is some differences. I have a CT15, okay, along with my CT26. Oh, you do? Yes. Oh. Because I have a big, huge shop, and I can't just have my. Well, my 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 CT twenty six is like parked. For I can't move it around. Miter saw. Yeah, yeah. It's behind the miter. No, it's that's got a different vac in it, but okay. it's behind the miter saw, and I've got a big boom arm and a big long hose that'll go cover the whole shop. But if I want to nice. like clean out my car or clean up some stuff in the house or whatever, I don't have a shop vac, so I bought that. Couple things: the CT15 versus the wall. It's it's going to have a higher CFM. I think the CT15 is like 120 or 130. 130. 130 CFM. Wow, that's that's a significant difference. Yeah, yeah. so it's 40 CFM. It's also going to have a higher static pressure, mm. and it's quieter. Wall. Yeah, and it's 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 really quiet. The other thing is it does one thing it does not do. It does not come with an anti-static hose, you know, like the green mm-hmm. festival hose. Yeah. I think in this case it's like brown or it, black or gray or black. Gray. Yeah. It is not an anti-static hose. So if you try to, I'm just telling you, if you try to use that, especially with something like a domino or a router, you're going to get shocked. Hmm. But that's what his current DeWalt would be dealing with too. Yeah, I, I'm just telling you on the, on the festival, that's the way it works, man. You got you got to get that hose. So that hose is like a hundred bucks. Yeah, it's- <laughs> but you don't have to get the festival hose. You can get the Bosch hose. Yep, which yeah, is like sorry. fifty or sixty dollars, I think. And that's usually what I buy is the 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 Bosch hose. Uh, I also want to say hello to Scott. Scott's a local boy here. I've met Scott a couple of times. So, uh, Hey Scott. Anyways. um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good machine, you know, $350 versus a DeWalt, you know, five horsepower. uh, Doesn't really mean anything to me. The, 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 all I can do is think of analogies. You know, when you, when you get a festival tool, it's built really well and designed really well. And it's just built better than the DeWalt one is. It's like buying the difference between a Chevy and a BMW. You know, they both do the same thing, but one's just built better. And I sort of feel even like that's arguable. Sure, sure. But I, I, I sort of also feel like a DeWalt shop back and, you know, shop back in general are doing a lot of different things. Whereas something that's very specialized, like a dust extractor is meant to do something very well. And in yeah. this case, it's meant to extract the dust from the tool. Very, the other very thing well. you mentioned is the bag. I don't know anybody that even puts a bag in a shop vac. I don't. Nobody does. 
No. So you're you're relying on that paper cartridge filter. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm telling you, that stuff's just blowing right back into the shop. And an issue that I've had with my shop vacs is I've gone through shop vacs left and I've probably gone through, through three of them where the fine dust just kills the motor after a while. You'll yeah. hear the yeah. wee, yeah. Yeah. then it won't start anymore. Yeah. What does it do? Wee. That sounds about right. Can you do it one more time? Just re- no. No, you can do it when you're editing it. <laughs> loop it back in. But I mean, I have. That's another thing that you're going to get with a dust extractor. It's built, you know, like the HEPA filters, the better filter filtration yeah. system, with the bag and the filters and the multiple, you know, uh, uh, the 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 filters, the multiple filters in it, and all that stuff. But anyway, it's going to uh, it's going to last longer, and it's built for that. Now, me being a cheap person when it comes to this kind of stuff, I would just throw it out and go buy another $49, you know, shop vac that was on sale and it would last me another eight months to a year. And then eventually I just said, you know what, I've got a router, I've got the domino. That's part of their ecosystem. Let me just go ahead and get the, the the CT vac uh, just because it's, you know, it's part of the ecosystem being able to, you know, to plug it in and auto start and all that all that awesome stuff. It, it's just, it makes sense when you're in the ecosystem, uh, even though you're not in it now, if you can ever see yourself getting just, you know, into this, into the system with a domino or a plunge router or a track saw. I mean, I use it for my Makita track saw too. Just plug it in and, you know, the hose connects just perfect and then bam off to the races Yep. and the Bluetooth, you know, it's, I got to say, I was hesitant to buy that because like, I really need that. But man, if you're just using it for something other than using a tool, being able to turn that off and on at the end of the hose is amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> when I'm dusting stuff off, and I, when I'm done, I just, boom, turn it on, turn it you off. Know, and you know, it. a real good example of that is, you you know, let's say you have the thing set to auto and you're using the router and you're plunging, you know, holes from a jig with your router. So you go, meh. And then you take the jig off and you've still got dust that's inside the holes you just made. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Without the Bluetooth, you got to walk over to the dust, cl- the, the dust extractor. I know I'm so lazy. This is real world problems, <laughs> right? But imagine if you've got 50 or 60 holes to do. Yeah. Yep. So, but I, but either way, I got to walk over to the dust collector and turn it on and then walk back over and clean the holes out with the Bluetooth adapter and a little button on there. You just, eh, and you just go. Yep. So the Bluetooth is nice, which is something you cannot put on the CT15. Yeah. Oh, no, you cannot. Yes, yeah, so you'd you have cannot. to look at, you'd it have to upgrade the mini or the MIDI. Can you yeah. buy their aftermarket Bluetooth no. thing? No. no. Okay. Because I know they have a, well, I think it's like a they, they They put that one out as a bare bones dust extractor. Mm. So yeah. people could get a dust extractor without paying $700. The Mini and the MIDI are Bluetooth, built-in Bluetooth. The 263648 are Bluetooth optional. Yep. Okay. And well, I, I've actually thought about getting another small one to, so I could be more like Guy, but... Um, no way. <laughs> Not happening, no. brother. You'd have, no. get, you'd have to get two more. Two more. Well, I already have one. Oh, yeah, you have but, three? No. Yeah, God. but you've got a CT48. That counts as two. Does yeah, if you mean? if you take your four, he's got a twenty six, <laughs> and if you plus the midi, which is probably a fifteen or a twenty, you still got two on him. There you go. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So <laughs> I had right. no idea this was a competition. Well, <sighs> uh, you had to let us know you had two of them, so you knew it was a competition. No, I just <laughs> said I've got one of these, so I know about it. Well, That's and then you said actually I've got two, so. <laughs> little right. little subtle brag there. All right. All right. So who's next on this amazing podcast of ours? I think it's me, right? Yep. We're yep. gonna go right into another little festool related Uh-oh. product question here. This is from Anthony. I'd like to make an assembly tabletop with dog holes just like the MFT basic. I already have an MFT table. Would it be possible to use my existing MFT tabletop as a template on a larger piece of three-quarter MDF? I was thinking of clamping it down and somehow pre-drilling some holes using the, my Festool plunge router with the flush trim bit. Would this work? And how would you do it with what kind of router bit? I see a lot of jigs made or bought online for this, but if I already have an MFT table, why not use it as a template? And I am uh, I don't have an MFT table, but if I were 
to if I were a betting man, the fact that I've seen the replacement uh, lids on those replacement tops, the, uh, they're just you know a slab of MDF with holes cut in them. So I would absolutely, if it were me, use mine as a as a template to make uh, if, if one one quick thing. There, those festal ones are not MDF. Well, whatever they are. Okay. HDF, I think. They're right. HDF. Yeah, well, yeah, That I don't think that matters with him using it for a template, though, right? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, so whatever they're made out of, I would absolutely use it as a template on three-quarter MDF. And uh, the key there is making sure that you're indexing that that template so that your your holes are, and everything are lined up just right because you don't want to just put a bunch of holes in there and find out that they're not, you know, exactly perpendicular or parallel or whatever to one another. So I would, uh, I would make sure to, uh, to index it, uh, drill your holes and then use your existing holes in there as a reference point to lock it in place for, for routing your next holes. Um, and I think that you're on point with the flush trim bit. I personally would probably buy, let's see, what are those 20 millimeter holes in the, in the, uh, MFT? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, a half inch, three quarter inch, uh, flush trim bit would work. I would probably just, just knowing myself would get the, probably an upcut spiral with the bearing on the bottom. Um, you know, put on some headphones, listen to some music and then just go to town on routing all of those holes. And after you get, after you get those first batch done, I would overlap it by one row, put some, you know, put some dogs in there to make sure it doesn't move, keep routing, keep routing. And then and then do the however many holes you need to do on your new assembly table. Um, but I don't think that, I mean, I wouldn't see any issues with using your existing MFT top. I know there is a system, what is it called? The, um, is it Parf Dog? Parf something? Parf. Yeah, those are just like dogs. There's Parf Dogs, there's Quaz Dogs. Well, what is the system that you can use to drill these? I forgot. It's like an orange jig made out of aluminum. Yeah, yeah they, that's they have a, a template. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's that's from um, some company, and that was made by Peter. It was designed by Peter Parfit, but it was some company in the UK that that came out with it. I can't think. Yeah, of Lee Valley and TSO Tools or whatever their name is sells that jig, but I mean that's an option. But the fact that you already have a you know a nice MFT top that you can use as a template, I see no reason to not use it as a template. Um, yeah. me personally, so. I mean, do you guys see any any holes in in that logic? No pun intended. <laughs> no, not at all. I, no. I think I think it's a a good idea. Um, I've had an MFT top as an outfeed table for I think probably eight years, maybe nine years, somewhere around there. How many replacements <clears throat> have you had? I'm on my second one. Okay, so in eight years you've had two. I mean, that's, yep. that's and pretty it's still, good. My, my mine is still pretty good. Uh, I've made some cuts in it. There's some battle scars, but that's fine. <clears throat> and I had somebody CNC a top for me once, and it was not perfect. Um, so I actually. I gave him, I paid him for it, but I, I, then I turned around and sold it for what I paid for it <laughs> to somebody that wanted, somebody was at my shop one day and they wanted it. And I said, well, it's like 25 bucks oh, or take man. it. So he, he bought it and took it. But you know, for me, uh, I'll just buy another MFT top. It's a hundred bucks. I don't want to waste my time. Well, there's, I think this person is using it for an assembly table. If it's probably yeah. sounds like to me, it's a different size than an MFT. Yeah. Um, if you're just going to use a couple rows of it. Yeah. I mean, no problem. You can do that. Yeah. And just make sure that you're, I guess, using those parf dogs or whatever type of dogs you're using just as an indexing yeah. mechanism. A bunch of different companies make all kinds of different jigs to make those tables. So, Right. All right. Well, I think I'm going to pass it off to Guy for your first question. Okay. This is a long one. Oh boy, wake me up. Yeah. This question comes from Brian. And the reason I'm going to read the whole question is because Brian is the chief financial officer of the company I work for. He is responsible for approving payroll. 
So, you bet. You, you better. You better read the whole darn thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he warned me. He said, "I sent the question in, and you better get it on the air, or else." So here you go. I'm just kidding, of course. He's a good dude. Uh, Long-time podcast listener, thanks for the great content and helpful advice for woodworkers of all skill levels. I'm a few years into woodworking, and I have a 12 by 15 shop in my basement. No windows in the basement, and my workshop is climate-controlled utility room with the finished basement just outside the workshop door. I make a variety of things, such as boxes, crosses, shelves, trays, etc., out of hardwoods, primarily walnut and curly maple. So far, my go-to finish has been a few coats of shellac, uh, which is Zinsser Seal Coat, finished with a coat of satin armor seal. The finishing process can be tedious, especially when making crosses and boxes that have lots of small crevices. I'd love to settle on a finish that checks the following boxes. Now, the reason why this is a long read on this is because he actually thought about everything that we were, we would normally ask, you know, what, what is this? What is that? He, he actually wrote it all out, which is kind of cool. Um, so those following boxes are easy to apply. Isn't overly smelly. Give my workshop location and lack of outside ventilation accentuates the beauty of the wood. For example, the highlighted figure of the curly maple riches of color in the walnut. Doesn't involve pre-finishing if possible. It is quick from start to finish as my workshop time is limited with three young kids and I want to spend much of the shop time as possible making sawdust, not applying finish. Easy to clean up. Uh, I'd love to avoid spending 30 minutes cleaning a spray gun after using it. Also, I don't have a ton of space due to my big uh, saw stop, saw, router table, planer, drill press, etc. Should I keep a shellac and armor seal or should I look at a spray option? And if a spray option, should I do an actual sprayer or buy rattle cans of finish? I'm open to recommendation. Thanks, Brian. So all these things that he's saying, I'd really like to check all these boxes. He's looking for the perfect finish that's easy to apply (laughs) and doesn't smell. I mean, everybody wants that, right? So, amen to that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of like I'd like it to do this. I'd like it to do that. I'd like to do this. And it's like, yeah, you want the perfect finish, dude. So, the first thing I always ask myself when I'm thinking of what kind of finish I'm going to apply is, what is the piece going to be used for? So, he's got things on here, um, like boxes crosses, shelves, trays, etc. Mm-hmm. So things like the boxes and the crosses, these are things that get finished and rarely touched. Yeah. Especially a cross. You're mm-hmm. taking that thing and you're it's 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 a wall ornamentation typically. Um, yep. usually in a bedroom or in a living room, somewhere like that. Um Oh, cross is a lot more than wall ornamentation, but you know what I mean. What I mean. Um, yep. Boxes are the same thing. They they don't see a whole hell of a lot of use, especially ornamental boxes. You put some you know knickknacks in there, and you you use it as a display piece. The shelves and trays, however, are a different things. So let's look at the boxes and crosses first. I am, as everybody knows, I am a big fan of shellac, and if you don't have a spray gun. For those things, I'm also a big fan of rattle can shellac. Oh, yeah. Uh, you don't have to have expensive spray equipment. It it doesn't require just about any cleanup at all whatsoever. Um, however, it is expensive. Yeah. That's the only thing. It is expensive. So, but you can use that. And I'd recommend putting on a couple, three coats of that sprayed on. You know, buffing it out with or, or, or uh, abrading the finish with with steel wool, quadruple out steel wool, and then putting a thin coat of wax over the top of it. Not like go. Johnson's Paste Wax, but like a, a Brie Wax or a Brain Fart. I'll think of it later anyways. Um, 
but there's a lot of good waxes out there you can put on it. And that's what I would put on those pieces. Um, as far as the shelves and trays, I'll let somebody else answer that question, what they would think is a good finish that's easy to apply, isn't smelly, and doesn't require cleanup. <laughs> the only thing that I was going down this list and I was like, easy to apply. Okay. Isn't overly smelly. Okay. I can probably get you there. Accentuates the beauty of the wood. Okay. Now we're going to be, we're going to, in my mind, we're going to need a two step. Cause I was like, okay, what about water-based yeah. finish? Spraying the water-based yeah. finish. I mean, that's going to dry fast and this and that. So I might take a different approach with the trays and stuff and mm -hmm. would say a coat uh, or two of spray shellac, let it dry, mm, scuff, yep. sand it, and then come back and spray a water-based poly, probably three to four coats, letting mm -hmm. it dry, scuff, sand, final coat. And then, you know, depending on what you think when you're looking at it, hit it with the same, the same wax with, um, steel wool. Yeah. So and with a, the water-based finish, like on a tray or something like that, you would use a rattle can? What do you, yeah. Why wouldn't okay. I? No, I'm. Well, what's how's that any different than? Oh, I'm just. I just asked. I just. Oh, I thought you were saying that was. Yeah. No. Uh, no. I've. I've. I've actually never used the the. Polycrylic uh, spray can. No. Yeah. No. I've never either. Yeah. It from my limited experience with it. I mean, it it sprays pretty well. Does it? Yeah, I like water based finishes. They. Yeah, I've done it in the gun, and I've also done rattle can. Also, the gun is amazing to shoot that stuff. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. But yeah, do four, you know, probably three to four coats on the tray. And then, uh, you know, the shellac obviously is going to accentuate the beauty of the wood. Um, depending on the wood that you're, like if you're using, you know, curly maple, something like that, I'd probably go with uh, probably a, maybe a garnet shellac. I would obviously make a test piece, but uh, garnet or something like that. And then hit it, let that dry and scuff sand it and hit it with some water, water-based poly and, and it's not going to smell and it's going to dry quick. And, uh, but man, it's hard to beat or hard to beat a good armor seal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of is something he's already doing, which is the armor seal armor seal. And I think maybe the only thing that might speed up that process and make it a little bit easier is going to be that rattle can shellac. But I mean, it is hard to beat. I mean, I enjoy using armor seal or any type of wiping varnish. It's just so easy to use. It's yeah, it's it's idiot proof. Even even yeah. you can do it. My question oh, is, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid that you were going to say that. Well, well, I can't you, use it. If you set it up, man. <laughs> I know I did, um, but it's just so easy to use, and I don't think you're going to get any easier when it comes to oil based finishes. Um, yeah. You know, so. my question is why you can probably save some time off what you're doing now is that is why go with a few coats of shellac, then put a coat of armor seal on top. Is it to level out the sheen? Is it to, you know, I was no, curious, some why not just go like all the, armor like seal? The, the, the curly maple and or like a, a figured cherry, you get splotching. Mm. So yeah. the, the, the seal coat, a couple coats of that and then sand it back yep, yep, yep. and it, it's going to accept the oil finish more evenly. Yeah. Not so, not, not so much necessarily on walnut, but definitely on, on curly maple. Yeah. But it is that, is that why Brian is doing it or was he just, I, you I know, know that had a different theory. I will ask him later. I must know the answers to this guy, <laughs> get it in writing and then, and then fax it to me. Okay. Fax it. Uh, carrier pigeon. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is, this is a pretty good question. And, and I think that, you know, he's looking for the, uh, the, the perfect finish. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if there is one, but for the smaller items, I said, uh, you cannot go wrong with rattle can shellac yep. and wax. Oh, I know what I was going to say about that. Well, he's uh, well. I don't know if he's doing spray can or not of the shellac now, but that stuff is no, really, really, not. really easy to put on too thick. Really easy to put on yeah. too thick, and it's it's two pound cut, so it can get goopy. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to stand back and hit it, and then stop. Don't overspray yeah. that stuff because then you'll get thick spots, orange peel, and then it's ugh. What have I done? Does a yeah. two pound cut take a little bit longer to dry? 
Um, from, if you've used a rattle can before, like Sean said, you got to be pretty quick moving with that can. You don't want to mm. go over the same area twice oh, uh, wow, okay. because it will build up and run and drip. So um, I always do very light coats of it. Yeah. They just almost like <clears throat> miss the thing. Just Yeah. Don't try to get your final coat on the first coat. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sure. And I would just like missed it a couple times and it dries like really super fast, like 15 minutes where it's, it's dry enough and you can tell if it's dry enough, if it's not cold and clammy. Yeah. I know that's kind of um, ambiguous, but you'll know what I mean uh, if you've ever done it before. So, and then you can, then you can um, use like a four or 500 grit sandpaper or quadruple lot steel wool, whatever your, your, your fancy is and clean it off and then put a couple coats on. You can put three or four coats of that stuff on in a day. No problem. Let it sit overnight and then come back the next day and apply some paste wax. Then you're yeah. done. Yeah. My go-to finish for a box is put spray or put two coats on, lightly sand it, put two more coats on, let it cure for 24 hours, come back, hit it with 500, 600 grit sandpaper, and then buff it with the um, steel wool and paste wax. And it's going to give you an excellent sheen and it's going to be super, super soft and, and just look yep. good. Yeah. Well, I hope that helps, Brian. And uh, if you have any other questions, you know where I can be found. I can be found on the other side of the wall. That's a work <laughs> joke. <laughs> so I guess we're back to Hui for his second question. Yes, my second question. I believe this person's name is Matthew with a TH there, but I'm not exactly sure. So Matthew, I hope that's how you pronounce it. Anyway, on to the question. Hi, Guy, Hui, and Sean. Love the podcast. I learned so much from every episode. After only a year of woodworking, I've decided it's time to get my shop better organized. I'm going to start making a lumber cart, clamp racks, flip top tool stand, various storage cabinets, assembly table, etc. Most designs for these kinds of things call for plywood, but with plywood prices through the roof, I don't want to spend a ton of money on each thing. MDF prices are still high, but seem to be a bit more reasonable. How can I determine when MDF can be substituted for plywood? And do you have any other tips for how to make shop furniture on the cheap with today's prices? Before well, you before you go forward, he put his name is Matthew. He spelled it right oh. in the from, but he put Matthew. I guess a typo in the th- in his signature. So oh gracious, yeah. So it's Matthew. It's there Matthew. Yeah. So sorry, Matthew. But now that we got it straight, hey, Matthew. He, he had the typo. It wasn't our fault. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not apologizing. Darn you, Matthew. What's wrong with you, Matthew? Um, Matthew. Uh, yeah, so in general, yeah, MDF is cheaper than plywood. Depends on the plywood that you're getting. But yeah, I understand what you're talking about, especially now. Lumber prices are crazy, but they've, they are they've starting. Come down. They've come down significantly. Yeah, no. I think a two by four is five dollars and ninety eight cents for an eight foot two by four at Home Depot locally. Anyway, so you know, let's talk a little bit about some of the benefits of using plywood versus MDF. First off, is look plywood looks like real wood, right? It has that veneer on it. So it looks a little bit, I don't know. I tend to like the way plywood looks better than MDF. Um, MDF weighs more. So keep that in mind as well. And when it comes to strength, plywood is, is the winner. You know, MDF is a softer material than plywood and it tends to hold a screw a little bit better. Um, something else to consider. I, I, I know it's not pertaining necessarily to the question, but MDF does create a lot more dust to cut and Although it doesn't really bother me to cut MDF because I usually wear a mask. Just something to keep in mind. I think for things that are more structural, so I think that flip-top tool stand, um, maybe the assembly table, the clamp rack, I might for that project lean towards more using plywood than MDF. For maybe small storage can maybe not necessarily a storage cabinet, but maybe the drawers or certain components I might lean towards. And I have used MDF because that was in my scrap bin to make certain drawer uh, parts and whatnot. Uh, 
So I don't know. I, I think ultimately I would probably make my decision based on how much weight each storage unit or piece of shop furniture was holding and if whether or not it was going to be a significant amount of load bearing, in which case I would probably stick with plywood. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Sean? You, you, you team seem to be the more uh, frugal one. <laughs> well, so that, that, that I, sounds terrible. I don't mean it in a bad way. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Let, let's just be honest, though. <laughs> yeah. No, I, no, it's... Uh... It, some, it, it's partially true, but not when it comes to this. I mean, my first question is, be, do you care about what your shop furniture looks like? Your assembly tables, this right. and that. I think you're going to be able to mix MDF with plywood. I don't think you're going to be able to get away without using plywood. Assembly yeah. table, obviously, you can use MDF for the torsion box top or the regular top. Mm-hmm. Clamp rack, no way would I use MDF for that. At least no. not without knowing your what you mean by clamp rack. Uh, would I use it to hold my parallel clamps? No. Maybe a couple F clamps? Maybe. Spring clamps? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It just depends on what design you're going with. Um, but like we said, anything structural, I would, I would, you know, stay away from using MDF. But you can, you can mix it in a few areas, um, you know, use it for drawer fronts, doors, if you had to. But again, you know, are, are you concerned about what it looks like in there? Are you going to paint it? Are you going to... You know, it, it just depends, but I would leave the structural stuff to uh, to the plywood, like we said. And but you can still mix MDF in some of those items. You know, my entire uh, assembly table top is just heavy, 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 heavy uh, MDF, and it works great. Mm. Yeah, definitely. MDF is going to take paint a lot better if you decide to paint it. If but if you're keeping it sort of a natural look, I I, I tend to think plywood looks better. My opinion. <laughs> I'm sorry, I mumbled there. I tend to think plywood <laughs> looks better than MDF if it's uh, just think, natural finish. Yeah. And how about uh, you, Guy? What 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 are your thoughts on? I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? Sean? No, I was going to see if Guy was awake. No, oh. I'm awake. I'm just li- I'm just listening to you guys <laughs> because I <clears throat> you guys are covering a lot of information, and I just don't want to repeat what you guys are saying. I appreciate so it. I unfortunately I'm going to have to. I really agree quite a bit with Sean was saying. You're going to have to use plywood, but there are places where you can use MDF. And the MDF is going to be mostly used in, in I would say, in, in the situations where the there's not a lot of weight being put on where screws are attached at a 90. MDF does Good not point. hold screws yep. very well yep. at all. They do make some special screws for MDF which actually work pretty good. Um, but you're not going to get away from using plywood. There's nobody says that you have to buy, you know. The highest grade plywood. Yeah, wall, a, A1 walnut plywood at $150, $120 a sheet is what it costs here. Um, you can still go to Home Depot and get, you know, I, I was just there a couple of weeks ago because I needed some, some, actually I needed a sheet of plywood and I've got, I got, the, I got maple plywood. I think it was like $55 for the sheet. And this was recently? Um, maybe three weeks ago. That's not bad. So that's about $10 more than it was before things got crazy. Yeah. It was like $45 a sheet is what I was so using. three quarter? Three quarter, yeah. Yeah, um, I remember that. Now that's our that's Indianapolis pricing at Home Depot. Very very similar here in Huntsville. Yeah. So um, depending on where you live, it may be more or less. But I think I think it was like fifty five dollars for the sheet of it, and it was maple on both sides, and it, it was pretty. It's you know it's Columbia Forest Products plywood, so it's and it's a uh, at Home Depot, so it's like a C, a C two or a B two. It's not the highest grade stuff, but it, it, it's fine for cabinetry, and it's and it's pretty flat and it's pretty decent. And really, it really depends on what you're making with it. Uh, all those items that you talked about before, I'd I'd be making them all out of plywood. You you got to bite the bullet, dude. Yeah, you know you can't you can't be like Sean and expect to spend twenty bucks and get it done. <laughs> no. No. Although I the, think the MDF, lumber prices are coming down, I think they are M- coming down. I think MDF is better suited for tops for assembly tables. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I would yeah. agree with that. So but everything there, else there, I have there are, there are places for MDF and then there are places not for MDF. Yeah. So I wouldn't build a cabinet case out of MDF. It's going to weigh a ton oh, and yeah. you're not going to be happy with it because it's going to eventually fall apart. Yeah. So, um, anyways, you guys said you guys answered that question pretty good before I got on, on air. So, well, my next question is I'm going to leave a lot of meat on the bone for you. Oh, I'll make up for it. Okay. All right, cool. This next one is from me then. This is from Jeff. Hi guys. I'm in the market for a miter gauge for my table saw and I really like the look of the anchor miter 5,000, but the cost over here in Australia, Australia is a bit on the high side, 700 plus postage. <laughs> I started looking around at different manufacturers, et cetera, and the usual YouTube searching. And I noticed a lot of users using a miter gauge only as opposed to a sled with miter type options. Would you use a miter gauge only as opposed to a sled configuration? Thanks for the great podcast, Jeff. Would I use a miter gauge only as opposed to a sled configuration? Not if I had to pay $700 for an anchor 5,000. <laughs> no. You know, I have the 5,000 and I have sleds and the anchor 5,000 is, is nice. Don't get me wrong. It's easy, extremely easy to dial in at 90. It's really easy. Oh, yeah. And you, you know, and it's got the miter, so you can turn it for different, you know, different angles and all that, all that jazz. But, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of a good, a good sled, a traditional, a traditional sled. I like the, you know, you can, you can get all the same clamping and that you can on the 5,000 that you, you know, on a sled, um, you can make it whatever size you want. You can make specialty sleds. Um, like I have a, a miter only sled, um, for cutting miters again, you're paying for convenience and a really nice miter gauge for the anchor miter 5,000. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with just using a good sled. And, um, and I'm sitting here and I had a thought and then my phone just started ringing and completely messed me up here. (laughs) But, um, man, what was I going to say? Yeah. Well, I'm going to stop there and then pass it off to God. But ultimately what I'm going to say is, um, what, would you use a miter gauge only as opposed to a sled configuration? No, I would not. Absolutely yeah, not. I, 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 would, I would agree with that. The, the big advantages to the miter 5,000 is exactly what Sean had mentioned before. It's really super easy to dial in yeah. to get 90 degrees. And once you've got dialed in at 90 degrees, you can take that fence and put it to any other degree. So it's very, very accurate when doing angles and such, if you have a need for it. Um, That's probably the biggest thing. And you can cross cut up to, on on my saw, which is a a Powermatic PM2000, it's got the the wider table. So I can actually cross cut 24 inches on mine, uh, which is pretty darn nice when you think about it. You can't do that with a miter gauge. Right. Now, I also have an anchor miter gauge. Um, I think it's like the HD 1000 or the 1000 HD or something like that. Yeah. And um, I use that quite a bit. The only time I really use the, the, the 5000 sled is if I'm doing something that's wider than maybe eight or nine inches. Yeah. Because the, the miter gauge just doesn't work real well when it's when you have to start off the table. Um, so <laughs> I, actually, I th- actually, I think I got like 12 inches there before it, it falls off the end of the table. So yeah. um, I use that quite a bit. I mean, quite a bit. And if it's a smaller piece, I've, I'm also blessed to have the Capex. So I use that quite a bit. Yeah. You know, I have a lot of different options. Having different options is always good. And the, the thing with Incra is it, it is locally, it is made here in the United States. And, you know, the way things are in the world right now, getting stuff exported out of here and imported into your country is going to be really expensive. It doesn't yeah. matter what country it comes from. Um, there's a big, uh, 
supply shortage of a lot yeah. of stuff. I posted something on Instagram last night of my anchor router table. And one of the guys says he's been waiting like three or four months. Oh, wow. For his anchor fence. Think yep. about that. But it's worth the wait. Yeah. Um, we, what do you think about this? I'm right there with you guys. I don't think a miter gauge replaces a sled configuration. And I think if if that price point, which is it's a lot, is too much for you, then definitely consider making your own. Now, I, I just looked on Carbotech's website and they have the 1000 HD and the 1000 special edition i think the hd has a little bit more finer adjustment with the veneer cal uh, veneer adjustment or whatever um but carbotech has those in stock and they are 300 au which i think is 200 and some dollars us dollars it's not too so, bad those are like 100 if you if you you're lucky you can buy those on sale here in the us for 130 to 150 dollars yep yep I think that's about what I paid for mine. So that's yeah. not terrible. Of course, no. you are paying, you know, the the import tax, and that's why it's yeah. a little bit more expensive. But I would say that probably in your position, I might go the route of getting some UHMW, making some miter slots, and making your own sled configuration for the time being, um, and then maybe getting an Incra, you know. Uh, 1000 HD, whatever it is, or 1000 special edition, one or the other. They're both very good. I, I think I have the same as you guy. I have the HD, but I might, I, I would probably go that route and, and just make my own. And I've worked with my own sled for my shop made sled for a long time. And I have the, the 5,000. Yeah, I know. And I have the 5,000, you know, first world problems. I have too many. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I would wait. The 5000 is a big investment. It is. It is. So. Yeah. If you have the ability to make a sled, I just don't see the reason to get a 5000. And, you know, I, I don't know mainly, why I mainly, bought it. Mainly the configuration of it. I've made, I don't know how many sleds. They always go out of calibration. And they're a huge pain. Pardon my French here. They are a huge pain in the ass to get dialed in. And once they're dialed in, it's 90 degrees only. Well, yeah. Well, that that's true, but you there's there's methods now other than just screwing them in the bottom. I mean, you can make it to where you can put um, oversized mm -hmm. holes at the top. There's easier ways to to I, set those to ninety. I, I know, and I'm not I'm not trying to to be contrary. Please don't take it that way. All I know is that if I take <clears throat> if I try to make my own sled, trying to get that thing ninety would take me probably an hour, give or take mm -hmm. an hour. And mm -hmm. I could get it dialed into 90. I can set up the anchor to get to 90 in about 15 seconds. Yeah. Once, I mean, that's, that's part of the price of what you're paying for yep. is that real and once, ease. And then once I have it set up that miter gauge head on. So if I know if I've got to cut some, you know, angles on these, these uh, ends of these tapered legs that I just made, for some, you know, mid-century modern furniture where it's splayed at the ends. I, I mean, I can I can set it up in like a minute, and it's done. And I, I'm cutting compound angles on it. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, you're paying for convenience. Is all yep. you're paying for? You're paying for convenience because you can do exactly. all of that with a regular sled and and your own custom stop blocks and this and that. But it's yeah. going to take you longer. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. yep. But and that's what I was saying. And I think it, it's very similar to the whole assembly top table thing that we were talking about with the dog holes is that you can go through the process of making your own, but at some point, and it, and it reigns true with me, at some point, I would rather just pay for the convenience of having it delivered to me and I know it's You're right. You're rich, we. Whatever. Got all that. But, 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 but yeah, you understand. You get, <laughs> you get to a certain point where it's like, I've done this and- it's time to now just buy it. I sincerely believe that every woodworker in his journey should build their own sled at least once. 100%. If, make, not, 100%. if not five times. 
I've done at least <laughs> at least five, and my latest was again a miter, a dedicated miter sled, so yeah. that I can cut miters for boxes. And I have one of those, and too. I just I find it I, I find it a sled, a full sled, just for me more convenient. I, I like to be able to pull the cut off away from the blade when I pull the yes. sled back. I just I get uncomfortable when I'm sitting there and I have all kinds of off cuts piled up next to the blade when I'm using the Anchor 5000 and I find myself stopping, removing, stopping, removing, stopping, removing. I just don't like that. I'm never too comfortable with that. But what what I was what I was going to say before is that you know everybody should should make a sled or two in their woodworking journey, but there comes a certain point where I just you know like for me I just don't want to spend my time making jigs yeah, and fixtures. I just want to use it. And for me, I'd rather, and this is just my own personal preference. I would rather just buy it and pay for it and it be done and over with. Yeah. Because it's, that's easy. I, I, I'm, I'm taking the easy route. No, absolutely. There comes a point, there comes a point. And just like you said, there comes a point when every woodworker needs to be capable or know how yeah. to make their own sled. Yeah. Cause once, once you do that, you're, you, you understand the concept of everything that's going on and it's it, with woodworking. It's not only important to know procedures. It's important to understand the concept of what you're doing. And when you do something like the five cut method, which we're not going to get into, right? <laughs> but if you get into like the five cut method, once you do that, you understand it's like, Oh, now I understand. And you can, you can take that concept and apply it towards lots other, of other yep. things. Yep. Absolutely. So, and it depends yeah. also where you are in your journey. If you're new, you're like, I've got way more things that I could buy, spend that 700 on than a sled. Yeah. That's a lot of money, man. I don't know if that translates. We, what does that translate to? In it's probably like dollars? 560 bucks. That's a guess. Um, that's that's yeah 500 500 bucks yeah 515 bucks yep that's that's pr- that is pricey yeah that yeah. is pricey so yeah. all right i think we have still have one more question this is a long episode we do have one more question yeah i have i have my last question uh, we are yeah. we are talking away Yes, Ooh. we are. There was a lot of meat. There was a lot of meat on that last question. Oh, actually. and this is not going to be a short que- answer either from the one you just took. <laughs> <clears throat> but you know, I had to take it. Oh yeah, oh, I can't wait. I had to take it. So this comes from Tim in North Carolina, and Tim writes: Being sixty-nine years old now, I find my reflexes, muscle control, eyesight, etc aren't quite as good as they used to be. I feel your pain, Tim. Would it be, in your opinion, in your opinion, foolish to go to a saw stop table saw for the increased safety when my Powermatic PM2000 works fine? We've never talked about that before. I realize there are other sources of hazards in the shop, but reducing one at the table saw is being considered. Thanks for the great podcast, Tim in North Carolina. Tim, in my opinion, I think you should do whatever it takes for you to feel safe in your shop. One of the things I, that we teach, because I have a lot of guys working in our shop that are not accomplished craftsmen. They're you know, inner city guys that we're, we're, we're having work done inside our shop. And we, we have a big emphasis on safety. <clears throat> and we all, <clears throat> we have saw stops that the guys work on and they still set them off. And it's never because they stick their hand in the blade. It's they're reaching over the blade to grab stuff. And they're brushing their finger against the, the blade to grab cutoffs and stuff like that. So if it makes you feel more comfortable, I don't think it's foolish to go to a saw stop. It will not save you from kickback which is more common on a table saw but if it makes you feel safer i say do it again you guys didn't think i'd say that did you i'm a little shocked i think that you finally saw the light of the value (laughs) of this technology and saw stops and it's not just a gimmick with your work and i salute you for seeing the the light 
Oh man! For me, talk about it back end comment. But for our shop, it makes sense, and I think for Absolutely. Tim, if he's if he's worried about it, I you know I I don't I don't think it's foolish to try to be safer in your shop. Correct. I, I completely agree with you. You're going to get good money for your PM two thousand, so you're not going to be out much. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Powermatic resells it uh, keeps its value. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So I don't think you're going to be missing out on anything. I think you're going to be gaining that aspect of of safety again. Security. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's going to prevent. You know, nothing's going to prevent kickbacks, but sure. you know, it only takes one slip to cut your finger off, cut your hand off. You know that you won't. You, you're going to try to try to avoid. I mean, you may get scratched from the blade, but you know, I've cut myself more times changing the blade than I have yeah. obviously thankfully with the blade spinning I've, I've, I've tripped it twice and both times are <laughs> cutting aluminum so that's one thing that you will have to uh you know content yeah you, I guarantee you'll you'll trigger the break more so doing something silly like that than cutting your finger because I've done it too once not twice yeah Sean. <laughs> well um, you know I, I admit it so yeah I'll try to well, hide it I'm not, I didn't hide it. This is the uh, first time you ever said it on the podcast. Wait, you're perfect. What? I did not. <laughs> I've said it before. I've no, said it you before. haven't. I haven't. No. Maybe no. I, I. Maybe you I need said to it go when back guys, and listen to our entire. Maybe I said it when you guys weren't recording. When we are yeah, done with this episode, I'm going to queue up 76 <clears throat> other episodes, and I'm going to. Oh, stop! You're not. Nobody <laughs> has time for that. I've cut myself more so using chisels than I've yeah. done. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And marking but, knives. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I mean, you guys, that that was a perfect answer, guy. I think I think that's the correct answer, which is you need to do what's comfortable for you, and if yep. that's what makes you feel more comfortable, you should hundred percent get a saw stop. It'll yeah, make you feel I, a lot I, better and more confident. I do. I do all the safety training for the guys in our shop, and one of the things I tell them, I said, if if anybody asks you to do something that you feel uncomfortable doing, don't do it. Just don't do it. If you don't feel safe doing it, whatever you do, don't do it. And yep. nobody will think any loss of you. Yep. And that's, that's basically it. And, you know, he's, Tim's 69 years old. I'm going to be 57 in two weeks. And happy birthday. Thank you. Um, I'll tell, I'll wait till your birthday to tell you. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> uh, actually, we're recording the night before my birthday. Really? Yeah. On on the fourth, my birthday's on the fifth. So, anyways, Ooh. um, it was special. Even even being fifty seven, you still got twelve years on me. My eyesight is failing. My hearing is starting to fail. I mean, my ref and I understand what he's saying. My reflexes are not what they used to be. Mm-hmm. I I I trip over shadows. I mean, it's. <laughs> Some of the stuff that that I, I I do on a daily basis that it just has to do with me being older. You have to accept it. Number one, you have to accept. You know, you have to feel comfortable in your own skin. I'm very comfortable in my own skin, but there's there's things that it's like how 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 am I doing that? Why is that happening? Now you're just old, and you just have to accept it. But things don't work like they used to as far as and tim's bringing that up and that's that's that is absolutely true especially your eyes it's hard to see stuff sometimes man and you don't want to be in the shop you know concerned about the tools that you're using you don't you want to enjoy your time in the shop yeah yeah you don't want to be scared go in your shop oh i'm so scared yeah like dang i want to make this one cup but it's tricky and i don't want to i don't want to risk it and my you know the piece is kind of small do i use a push pad what happens what if what if what if yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully that helps, Tim. Just get the saw stop. You won't regret it. All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it for the show. We would like to thank everyone that left us a five-star review on iTunes, and it really does help us in the search rankings. I know we say that, but it really does. And, of course, we truly appreciate support and feedback. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. 
So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. Um, and we could use some more questions, yes, guys. Yes, I was going to say yes. that. We so, only added one new question for this episode. We have a backlog, but we're running low. We need yes, a Yes, yes. Send them um, in. You can reach me at Guys Woodshop on Instagram. And where can you be found, We. You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are there. Sean, how about you? You can find me at Simple Cove on Instagram. Simplecove.com is my site where you can see all kinds of amazing projects from me and the community on that site. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Send in your questions. Yeah, we need, we need new questions. Yes. Um, all right, guys. Well, that was a, I thought that was a pretty good show. Excellent. Show. It'll do. It'll do. It'll do. It'll do. And uh, we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. See you, talk fellas. To you later. See Bye. you.